Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. How is everybody doing? It's me, your host, Dr. Lulu, the rebel on a mission to create awareness for sadness and depression and suicidal behavior in the whole world and hopefully plant the seeds of compassion in the hearts of those listening. So thank you so much. Let's get this party started today. We have an awesome, awesome guest. She is a sister doc. I love it. I don't get many of those. Her name is Dr. Esther Amago. She's Nigerian, so this is good. One of the little unicorns out there. I don't get enough Nigerian people to interview, so this is great. She is, she's got a background in physical therapy, but she specializes in, get this, men and women's pelvic health. Boom! How many people can say that? Not many. I love it. She found me. She listened to the podcast. She loved it. And she was not afraid to say it. So she is here today as a guest. Dr. Esther, welcome. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. I am excited too. So I know I probably left something out in your interview. So do you want to fill in the blanks or you want to just kind of get into the party right away? Well, I'll just tell people a little bit. So my name is Dr. Esther Amago. I am the owner of the Pelvic Place Physical Therapy located in Houston, Texas. I specialize in women and men's pelvic health. So a lot of people are always like, well, what does that mean? What is that? So I'll tell you. I have my doctorate in physical therapy. I did a residency in women's health, and then I specialize in women's and men's pelvic health. And I treat sexual dysfunctions, which is pain with sex. Um, I treat bowel and bladder dysfunction, so urinary incontinence, painful bladder constipation, things along those lines. I treat musculoskeletal impairments, just like um, spasms and things along those lines, whether it's in the back or whether it's in your pelvic floor, as in your vagina or your penis, post any kind of surgeries. Um, and then the main thing, one of the major things I treat is pregnancy and postpartum pain. So sciatica, low back pain, C-section pain, things along those lines. So it's a a nice array of things that are in your pelvic floor and connected yeah yes yeah i guess my listeners are like so what is she doing on dr lulu's podcast i thought it was about suicide all right Uh, what are you doing on my podcast 
Well, I have found that it's not just about treating your pain, like your physical pain. Psychological pain affects physical pain. If you have a pain that starts in your mind, it can trigger to your muscles. And if you have a pain in your muscles, there is such a thing as muscle memory. Look it up. There's such a thing as muscle memory. So if your muscles remember being in pain, even if you've had myofascial release, even if you've had um, pain medications, your muscles will still remember that, hey, this is an area of content for me. This is an area of discomfort for me. And no matter what happens, you're still going to have that discomfort, which is why people have the cyclical effect. So in my treatments, what I specialize in doing is I evaluate them as a whole, not just their pelvic floor. I'm asking them, what else is going on? How's your marriage? How are your children? How's your work life? How is sex? How's your relationships? What's going on? Because I do know that it's more than just your physical pain. I love it. I love it. I love the holistic approach. I love that. W-H-O holistic. That <laughs> I like that. And then you know what? I also like the fact that you mentioned that physical pain can almost not be separated from emotional pain. The one leads to the other. The other leads to the one. I love it. I, for one, I have in my younger days, I used to do like the major road biking big time when I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. And one time I took a fall and I broke my fall with my left knee. Uh-huh. And ever since then, every time I look, I look at one of my heels, my knees like, no, like literally talking about muscle memory. So I totally, totally agree. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I love what you do. I never even like had any idea there was such a thing which is why I love what I do right now, yeah. creating awareness. So where do you want to start, Mama Sita? Where do you want to come in? I'm, I'm all ears. Well, I just thought it was important to just highlight, you're talking about suicide. It's important to highlight how some of these things affect people mentally. Um, like a major population I treat is sexual impairment. So sexual pain, this can be pain after a hysterectomy, pain after a prostatectomy, um, pain after giving birth, like postpartum depression, things along those lines. So although we're fixing their pain, like we're addressing it, we're doing some stretches, modalities, things along those lines, it's important. I always recommend, hey, why don't you talk to a therapist? Why don't you talk to a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Or even seek, reach out to the church or your best friend or whoever it is, because if we are able to address these other factors, most people do better medically. There is a connection. Um, I don't. I can tell you how many people I've seen that in just spend a little bit more time with them and just talk to them about their their uh, psychological factors. What's going on? How are you doing? Um, have you eaten today? Have you um, done this or that today? And giving them a hug, things along those lines, you'd be surprised that they'll tell you. Well, you know, actually, I felt like. This is a recent story. I felt like a lazy mother lately. I just gave birth two months ago. My incisions aren't fully healed. My abdomen still hurts. My husband expects me to have sex. My baby's always crying. I can't produce enough milk. I feel like a total failure. How can I get better? Or what am I supposed to do? And I tell them like, okay, let's take a deep breath. Let's think about different ways to break that down. Because think, and then you know, honestly, they I honor the fact that they're able to tell me things like this because it means they're able to confide in me and they think that I'm a safe space. So not only am I fixing their physical pain, whether it's that they're coming to me for dyspareunia, which is pain with intercourse, but I'm also able to address their psychological pain and teach them how we can like move ahead. Let's talk about breathing factors. Let's talk about stress relieving methods. Let's talk about 
giving yourself some me time. Let's talk about validation that you don't have to do every single thing and be every single thing to every single person mm -hmm. at every single minute. Yes. So it's just important to talk about things because these are things that get swept under the rug. We think, oh, okay, well, you just gave birth. You should be able to have sex or, um, nowadays people are being more aware of breast cancer well you no longer have cancer why are you so sad well i'm sad because i have vaginal dryness i uh, lack self-esteem i no longer have the body that i've been used to seeing for the last few decades um i question if my husband is still attracted to me i feel less than the person when i'm around my other friends there are lots of factors that go in but instead we just highlight the fact of wow you're breast cancer free congratulations i'm so happy for you and we like we almost erase the other factors that make them who they are wow dr esther i am just like scribbling as fast as i can nuggets after <laughs> nuggets i love the part you mentioned about validation i love that because a lot of my patients who are teenagers obviously as a pediatrician the biggest issue that i find is they they, they have this intense need for validation from their parents and their parents on the other hand are like you're 17 now you should do blah 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 or oh, I can't believe, like Nigerians, I can't believe what you see in that boy or whatever, however it is. But all the child wants is for their parents to just say, okay, I don't like that boy, but what do you see in him as far as like, tell me about him? Like, let me validate this thing that you found that you like or appreciate it or approve of it. Because that's all we want, right? In the end, we just want to people to approve of us, whether we think we're crazy or not. A woman who's just had a baby, have a JJ is not ready. And the husband is like, I'm ready. Well, I'm not. She needs that man to understand that it's a journey and I love my baby, but then why am I not happy? You know, kind of things so with postpartum depression kicks in. And, and of course, we're talking about depression. And then the next thing is maybe substance abuse. And then the rest is history. So no right. wonder Dr. Esther fits right into my podcast. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love what you're doing. And it. speaking about um, even the pediatric age, I mean, what age does pediatric stop? I think I stopped, is, is that about around 18 or so, right? For some it's 18, for me it's 21, but yeah, between 18 okay. and 21, most people don't want to come to see their pediatrician anymore because they're, right. they're in college. Right, right. So I think, I think I stopped seeing my pediatrician at 18. And then, but if you're, if you're still attached to her or him, you might come home and just, you just go say hello or whatever. We want right. to see y'all. We want to see y'all. Right. But I say that to say, at 18 or so, that's, I mean, I think I remember doing the study in high school and it showed that maybe more than 50% of these people are already sexually active. So imagine this is around the time you start to realize that you may have sexual dysfunctions. This is around the time where you start to realize that you may have pain with returning with having sex in general, or you may start to notice that if you're very athletic, like if you're a track runner, like I was in high school, or if you are a, a gym, uh, someone that participate in gymnastic activities, things along those lines, you may start to realize that you have a little bit more pelvic pain, or you may start to realize that, hey, my cycles are very, very heavy, and I feel the need to crawl up like a little ball with my cycles, or you may start to realize that, hey, when I jump, I leak a little bit of urine. Is this normal? And these are things that people want to talk about, but they don't feel like they have a resource to talk to, talk to someone about it. 
or they feel like, hey, this is so embarrassing. I'm just not going to even mention it. I'm going to put on a pad and do my flips and twists or whatever the case may be. Or they get depressed to the point that they feel like, oh, I, I, it's just me by myself. And they don't know that, hey, look, there is therapy for this. We can strengthen your pelvic floor muscles. And so that way you're able to run and jump and do your flips without any discomforts. Or even so, people with um, pain within, pain with their cycles, that's a huge thing. I remember my cycles were horrible at one point. Like I would literally not want to do anything, be in a fetal position. I mean, now that I'm older, I know that, okay, these are things that I can do about it. But back then, it was like, you know, I don't want to continue on if this is what I'm going to feel. And people don't really know what to say about it. They're like, oh, take some Midol. Oh, take some Tylenol. Just relax. Put a heat pack on. But it may be a physiological issue. So uh, being able to um, address it, put a light on it and say, hey, there is pelvic physical therapy that can help address some of the pain or discomfort that you're having. You may be having tight or spastic abdominal muscles. You may be having tight or spastic pelvic floor muscles. Um, you may be doing things that can irritate the pelvic floor and or the bladder that can cause or increase the discomfort with some of these, with some of these impairments that we're mentioning. Um, and even with teenage pregnancy on the rise. Mm. Now these teenagers, they feel so guilty that they can't even ask a question. Like they want to ask, is it normal for my, for me to have sciatica, you know, but they feel like, Oh, okay. Well, I don't even know what that is. The back of my leg burns. I feel a radiating mm -hmm. symptom mm -hmm. down there, but I shouldn't be pregnant anyway. So I'm not going to ask. I'm, gonna, I'm yes. just going to do it. Yes. And so what's the, yeah, sorry. You've been to the no, nice picture of a combination of how, what you said at the beginning, all these real physical symptoms, real, can always almost circle back to emotional. Someone yeah. who is pregnant, but because they feel guilty about the pregnancy, because they're maybe they're still confused about it. They don't even know their cycle. They don't right. know that there's a time in the month where, where it might be safer. You know, whatever. They don't know any of that. And then boom, they get pregnant. And then, of course, possibly maybe the boy is like, what? Get rid of it. Or I'm not the father or whatever emotional aspect that they're dealing with. That just compounds that pregnancy. And then we have a depressed person and it just becomes a vicious cycle. Oh, what's my parents going to say about it? And all of that, they're going to judge me. The world is going to, I mean, I'm going to drop out of a school. All of these things are real right. as a result of that. So, yeah, I can see how. And then wait, then they have some kind of pain. Then they, they don't want to go to the doctor. That can cause, for well, anyway, when we talk about suicide, the biggest thing I say is that, most people who suicide or who die by suicide do not necessarily have mental illness. They have a compounding, just overwhelming factors that at this point in time, it exceeds their coping skills. That's it. That's the condition that leads you to say, okay, um, um, I want out. You know, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not even a lot. For some people, it's not a whole lot. For some, it's just a little thing like that. In Nigeria, where I grew up, one of my aunts, the story then was that she got pregnant and wanted to get rid of the pregnancy and took some kind of poison, and she died. Isn't that suicide? It is. But nobody talks about that. You know what? I've never even really voiced it out until just this moment, just thinking about the fact that that pregnancy, just all the possibilities of ostracization and Nigeria, they beat you up with the mouth, with the physically, the emotionally. I mean, she probably looked at all that. She was a first daughter. I remember she was very pretty. And she killed herself. 
She wow. did. I just thought wow. about it. Now, she might not have planned to kill herself, but whatever she took, we don't know what she took. We don't know the dose, you know? Mm-hmm. I have had suicide in my family. I never even thought about that until just now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens. It happens. Mm-hmm. And I think it happens in more families than we like to mm-hmm. admit. Yes. And the Nigerian um, elements, oh God. It's, well, we're very tough. We're very tough people. We are very tough people. Tough and I tough people. Still, you know, almost no one still, you know? Like I someone know. who, like that girl, I'm just thinking about, I was young. I was like maybe eight or nine or 10. I don't know. She was, she was like maybe 16. She was older. She was an older aunt. But now knowing what I know now, she probably just needed a hug, like you said, because, you know, I'm a hugger. Just someone mm-hmm. to say, you're going to be just fine. You know, I'll be there for you. I'll, I'll walk this walk with you. Just something like that, which is what you're offering as well as the treatments. But a lot of times they just, they just need a hug. And yeah. just don't want to look into their eyes and just say, this is going to be okay. This too shall pass. She didn't, she probably didn't have that. Right. I think a lot of time I tell people, no one is born suicidal. We get suicidal because it's a lack of resources. It's a lack of understanding. And we have a lack of understanding. We have a lot. Yeah, pretty much lack of resources and lack of understanding. And what I try to do is I try to combine the two. Yeah, you have physical pain. And although we may need a hug and we may need validation, but that doesn't take away the fact that you're in pain. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's use a fire analogy. If you're on fire and I'm saying you're going to be just fine, everything's okay. That doesn't eliminate the fact that you're on fire. And if I put out the fire, that does not eliminate the fact that you're still in pain. Pain, Yeah. So it's a two part system. So what I do is I address their physical pain, whether it's um, episiotomy scar tissue or whether it's uh, a mastectomy scar tissue um, pain around your breast because you had a mastectomy or whether it's um, pain from a pregnancy or whatever the case may be. I address that. We fix it. We make sure that you're functional. And then I also have the luxury to be able to talk to you and counsel you about physical factors and psychological factors and stress management and talk to you about other factors that's going on through your day. I find that that is the best, hands down, the best approach because one does not negate the other. You do oh, need yes. Um, and that's what I do pretty much. That is what I do. Wow. That is amazing. Thank you so much for coming into my life because this is a department that I've never thought about. And I I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not. I have fibromyalgia. And so I hurt all the time. And for someone who loves to give hugs, every time I hug someone, I wince a little bit inside. But I know at that point they need the hug more. So I give it. And so now I don't have too much pain in my mind anymore when I hug. Any other time I do, but because I just I just know that at that point their own pain supersedes mine. So yeah, definitely as a as a chronic pain sufferer, maybe I need to make an appointment with you. <laughs> you might need to. I can definitely help. Yeah. I can definitely help. You'll have less yeah. pain for sure. Wow. So have you had any personal contact with anyone who's had struggles with depression? Not, not, not um, professionally now, just personal. Who's had depression? How did that, how did that go? And then were they suicidal or, you know, I don't know. Well, well, I've had two instances, to be honest with you. I can give you a clinical experience and a personal experience. Um, 
I'll start with the personal experience first. My next door neighbor in Richmond, Virginia committed suicide. Um, yeah, it, it literally is closer than we like to admit. It is, it really is. And this actually was a teenager, so it's probably um, one of the age ranges that you would see, mm. like I think a 16, 17-year-old boy, mm. um, playful generally. And uh, what happened, actually? He's a playful, he's generally a playful person. He slowly started withdrawing. We don't really know what happened. He's closer to my, he was closer to my brother's age, and we're maybe five, ten years apart. But he just slowly started withdrawing. And one day in the middle of the night, we heard a gunshot. He what? shot himself in the middle of the night in his parents' home. It was so traumatic. It was so devastating. Oh, my God. It was the most horrific experience ever. And my heart still goes out to their family. It, it, it bothers me just even the thought of it that someone was that close. And we just didn't really know at that point. We probably just thought, oh, he's just one, he's just going through a stage. Um, and we know these teenagers go through stages, but it's important to check in with them, check in with them, ask them questions. What's going on? How is your life? How is your homework? How are your friends? What exactly is going on? How are the sports? You don't know. He may have thought that this was the end result because he couldn't get into the football team. Who we knows? Thought, exactly. Yeah. Something as, sim as simple as that, but it seems like monumental him, yes. in that, in that yes. time in life. And clinically, I've had this uh, similar situation. Well, before, you, before you go back there, I, I, let's uh -huh. unpack that a little bit. Before you go back okay. there, because the guest I had before you, believe it or not, we talked about just what you said, the ripple effect of one single individual suicide. Oh. And I think I read somewhere that it's up to 300 people are affected by one single suicide. Let, let's just say, okay, his family, right? His immediate uh -huh. family his extended family, his teachers, his classmates, his neighbors. Yeah. You. I don't know how long ago this was, but today you're talking about it in 2019. Right. You're still affected by it. And of course, his neighbors, neighbors. I mean, it's like, why are we not all talking about suicide? I love what you said. It is closer I've forgotten the, the way you said it, but you said it's closer than we like it's to admit. It's closer than we think. Yeah, it's closer than we think. It's closer than we like to admit. It's exactly. closer than we like to acknowledge. Seriously. Yeah. And, and just, 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 that, just that single fact. And then there's another fact that he used a gun. And I always talk about the fact that over 50% of deaths by suicide in teenagers is by gunshots. Most of those guns are present in the home. Uh -huh. And most of those guns do not belong to the teenagers. And it's called family fire, where, or friendly fire in the military, but family fire whereby a member of the family where the gun resides is eight times more likely to be injured fatally because that gun was there. And so what we say is you have someone who is overwhelmed by whatever life through at him or her, right? At that moment in time. It's funny you use the analogy of fire because actually that's what the gentleman said about fire. Like you feel like you are on fire and you want to put out the fire. And then you happen to have a means to do it. So it's not just that you're suicidal, it's that you also have a means. Many of us have had suicide ideation. We just didn't have a means. My friend who killed herself, the only... The closest person beside my aunt, I'm just thinking about, she had a gun. She's a doctor. She's Nigerian. She was evil. She was closer to me than I need to say. 
And she, we went to housemanship together. And so just, this is 19 years later. My son came early because of her. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I went into premature labor because oh I called to see how she was doing. And I'm like, oh, Auntie so-and-so blew her brains out two weeks ago. Oh, That's my God. Oh, my God. Yes. And then her mother took the phone from her because she was like, you don't say that, you know. But I don't blame her. She's 16 then. But that's not the point. The point is, it happened to me. Mm-hmm. It happens. And I'm sure if we start to dig through our memory files, we'll find more and more situations that we, even to today, we don't even really talk about the neighbor that killed themselves. We don't really talk about that. It's such a topic that no one wants to talk about. But if we take power back into our own hands and say, hey, look, this happened, this is happening in our community. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we'll be able to make so much more of, of an Literally. impact. Yes. Yeah. And, and also get some kind of closure. Unfortunately for us, my aunt, no one talks about her. Okay? No one talks about it. Now, just, I want to, I want to go back there because she was in her late teens, I believe. But not only do, does no one talk about her, one of the reasons why I, I, my own definition of suicide is intentional as well as accidental, and intentional as well as accidental is because majority of the teenagers who play, for instance, the choking game, their plan was not to die from it. The for all I know, game. my, yeah, yeah it's, called, it's a choking game where they hang this. We can talk about that another day. Ooh. To get high. They want oh, to wow. asphyxiate themselves to get high. And then the plan is just when it's getting bad and they disconnect or jump or whatever. I don't know how they end it. And then they get this high. How do they come up with these games? I don't know. Wow. I don't know. Huh. Many children have been lost through that. That's just one example. Every time there's an overdose, you and I call it overdose. How do you know it was not intentional suicide? How do we, we know? Don't. Okay. We don't know. My aunt that died... I know, just because I knew her, she probably didn't think she was going to die. She was just trying to get rid of the pregnancy. That was accidental. But that was suicide nonetheless. So you see why we need to change that definition, at least where children are concerned. Adults, I can't say much. But yeah, you're right. It is happening every single day. And we just don't even... I've never visited my aunt's memory until just now. Yeah. So you're right, when we, unpack our, when we unpack our files, there's stuff going on there. And then you start asking, well, you know, that kid that died last week, maybe that's what he was, you know? Wow. Yeah. This, this right. There's power in talking about it. And that's what we try to do. We, there is power in talking about it. Because when you, ignore, when you ignore it, then you fail to assess the situation and process it properly. So if we bring it up, we talk about it, we acknowledge it, and we process it, only then can we heal physically, emotionally, mentally. Wow. I can't even write anymore. I'm just, I, I, <laughs> you're just, I, I'm having the best time. And I tell people all the time that, yes, I'm talking about suicide, but I have the personality to talk about suicide. It's mm -hmm. not everyone that can pull it off. We're teaching, but we're also bonding and it's, cathartic because now guess what i'm gonna do i'm gonna call my other aunt when i get off the phone and see how she's doing because it was her sister that died by suicide you know what i mean like right all those many many years and yet we're not allowed to talk about it because it's a taboo many 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 suicides 
and never discussed as suicide, died of natural causes. What is that? Right. So I'm here to get people to get comfortable with talking about the painful stuff because it's only through pain that a baby is born. It's only after the fruits, the, the, the seed dies that a new plant is germinates. You know, it's like we have to go through the pain so we can come out on the other side that much more, you know, relieved and just better off. And now it's like, okay, now I can talk about it. I, I wasn't always able to talk about mine, but I was like, you know what? Why not? What am I keeping this memory for? Guarding right. it. For what? For you what? can't help anyone if you keep it sealed. Hello. Girl, I'm writing that down. Keep talking, you know. I'm yeah. <laughs> And it is as important as it is to talk about those suicide. I think it's much more important to be able to pick up on suicidal signs, pick up on like evidence that, hey, this person is not well, because we want to be able to prevent it. We want to be able to acknowledge the issues and and give people resources so they're not a story that we talk about years later. Have you, can you tell about, can you tell us about any experiences that you've had where you've been able to, pick up on signs, acknowledge it, and be able to possibly prevent suicides? I'm sure you have experiences like that. Oh, it's on a daily basis. The truth is the child hardly ever comes to see me saying, I want to kill myself. That's right. That's in complaint. However, mm-hmm. they come in for headaches, sore throat, whatever, whatever. And the one girl that I wrote an article that went viral, she came in for a physical mm-hmm. in August and she had long sleeves on. It was like the, I don't know what they call it, the exercise clothes, I forget the name. Long sleeves is 100 degrees outside. Right there, I knew that I was going to find something. I didn't know what I was going to find. But when I proceeded with the exam, first of all, she wouldn't let me examine her or there was a hesitation. Then finally she did. And lo and behold, she had fresh cuts all over her body, like her stomach, her arms. But when I asked her mom, how is she doing with her cutting? Her mom said she hadn't cut in two years this was like two days old cut you know so they never come to me oh dr Ome, guess what i'm suicidal no they come to me with abdominal pain that doesn't get better with leg pain that doesn't get better with uh-huh. well, so much somatic symptoms that just don't get any better and i'm like wait are you being bullied at school uh, how did you know well how did i not know it's like you've had this pain during the weekdays or whatever but you have to be open to the possibility that every patient that walks in the door might have this issue. You just have to. Right. When you, yeah, then you have a low, very, very low, um, what's the word now, threshold of suspicion. You almost have to, because it's so common. We just had two days ago, two days ago, a 17-year-old here in San Antonio. Two days ago. That's yeah. true. So, That's yes, true. I've had a lot of, I've had a patient who died by suicide. I've had the seven-year-old that hung himself, which was the reason I quit medicine. I mean, just a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot, too many. Yeah. So imagine if we all took a little bit of time to check in with the patient as a whole, opposed to as their heart, if we're a cardiologist, or their lungs, if we're a pulmonologist, or their knee, if we're an orthopedic surgeon or whatever the case may be. Imagine if we took a little bit of time to say, how are things at home? How are things at school? How are things at the workplace? What's going on? You know, like all these people that are killing themselves, that are having these suicidal thoughts. They have friends and family that they go out with. Yeah. I was going to say even the next level. 
Yeah, I was going to say even the next level, even before you get to the doctor, the cardiologist, what about at home? Just yeah. you as a mother checking in, being mindful and just checking in with your kid for real. For mm-hmm. real. You know, and your friends checking in. Oh, she said she was okay. Hmm? Yeah. You know, what do you mean? Uh, the case. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but of course, because we're providers, we also have that. And just yesterday, I was talking to the San Antonio Pediatric Society about the fact that suicide is everybody's problem, whether you're Every- a neurologist or cardiologist or a podiatrist, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're twisting, when the child comes <laughs> in, you need to, yeah. Uh, yeah, podiatrist, cardiologist, all of those twists, they <laughs> come in and you need to recognize that they're a person, a whole person and like you just going back to what you said that foot pain might be causing emotional pain because they can't wear their fancy shoes anymore they can't play their favorite game anymore they can't walk without a limp anymore and now enter depression and once depression comes in there's substance abuse and the reason why people that have mental illness die by suicide is because either is unchecked right they don't take their medication they don't have the support or it's compounded by Substance abuse. Right. You know. Right. So, wow. wow. This right. is a good, a good, a good visit. So, Dr. Esther, my goodness, I feel like you need to come back for, for page two. It's <laughs> like, this has just been so, so good. Do you want to tell us, do you want to say maybe any, I wouldn't use, I don't like the word final words, any words of encouragement for those who are listening to you, any words of encouragement that you have for parents and teachers and other doctors and other providers like you and I? Yeah. So I would say, uh, and this probably is a common saying, but I tell my patients, it's okay to not be okay. I love it. One of my favorite phrases. Yeah, it's okay to not be okay. I think in this world, we think that we have to be perfect. We're in this world where we Instagram everything, we Facebook everything comparing ourselves to fictional characters, whether it's the Kardashians or whether it's the, like, whoever. I like the fact that you call them fictional. I love that. (laughs) They're not real. There's only one Oprah. Like, that's it. I love it. So it's like we compare ourselves to these different people. And even culturally, it's kind of almost normal. Like your mates aren't doing this, your mates aren't doing that. We're constantly in the stage of comparison. And we have to realize, no, pause. you are you. And you can only be you. And you can only strive to be the best version of you. And if you are not okay, that is fine as well. Just tell someone. Say, hey, look, I don't feel right about this. I don't feel happy about this. Or I've been having this physical pain and I don't know what to do about this. And just confide in someone. Talk to, talk about it. You cannot get better if you keep it all to yourself. And when you start keeping things to yourself, that's the beginning of destruction. That is the beginning of destruction. So talk about it. You're not, believe it or not, there is volume in numbers. So there's numbers in volume, however way you want to put it. But you'll be surprised. You're not the only one that has that issue. If you talk about it, you give other people strength to talk about it as well. And then it becomes strength in numbers. Yes. So it's okay to not be okay. Let's just like talk about is, it. Yes, ma'am. And what I like to say is it's, not, it's, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And then yes. that you can at least get that little rhyme in your head and just mm-hmm. know that Yana, you are not alone. Yana, you are not alone. And oh, I love that. I know. I, I, didn't, I, didn't that. Up. I, I stole it from one of my guests, but hey, I told her I said I was going to steal it and I'm stealing it. You have to take it and run with it. It's a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm I love it. Yeah. 
I love it. I'm going to start implementing that as well. So tell that guest I said thank you. <laughs> that's, it, that's right. And, that, and, that's, and that's all there is to it. And then that's one. And then another thing you said is there's strength in numbers. If you don't start, if I didn't go live with my struggle with, after Anthony Bourdain died, I did a Facebook live on the spot. I was outside the VA hospital and I just did a mm-hmm. Facebook live. It got like 10,000 views. Like in, wow. Because I just, I just, I cried the ugly cry. And I was just like, oh my God, I love Anthony Bourdain. Like if this guy was going through this, at first there was Mrs. Doubtfire, who I never remember his name, and then Anthony Bourdain, and of course, and of course Kate Spade, who I have one or two, I could afford one or two of her bags, <laughs> you know, from the consignment store. You know what I'm saying? That these are people that we look up to, and like you said, they're fictional almost. But if money was enough, they would still be here. If fame was enough, they would still be here. So it makes a lot of it's important to look into people's eyes and go on ahead and ask that question, especially the strong ones. They are the ones <laughs> we need to worry about because they will never ever tell you that something is wrong. And then boom, you know, oh my goodness, and, what happened? And I don't know if it's necessarily that they will never tell you. I think it may be that people look at the strong ones and they say, oh, they're too strong to ever have this issue. So then we're more likely to pour our issues on the strong one uh-huh. and they don't have any to pour out. You know, you can only take in so much. You have to have someone to pour out to. And if you're constantly getting people's information dumped on you, I like to say dumped on you, um, how are you supposed to function? You're not a dumping truck. You're not a dump truck. I tell people, no, you cannot feed me this information right now. Give me some time to process. I have things that I need to work out through myself. So I can't, I cannot possibly function under working out your problem, your problem, your problem, and then having to have no time for me. You have to prioritize yourself. You have to prioritize yourself. And I tell my patients that all the time. You can't help everyone if you're not okay yourself. And so enter self-care, right? Which self-care. is that's the, one of the newest words that burnout. Next word is self-care. And so I love that. that. Self-care begins even as an eight-year-old, like just learning how to say no. I had to learn. My coach, she told me, she said, when you say no, honor your no because i would say no then i'll do it (laughs) no honor your no and no is a complete sentence you don't have to explain it it's a complete sentence i love it i I love it girl i've been stealing stuff from people and i tell them i said i'm gonna i just fyi i'm gonna steal that because she's right it's a complete sentence no Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no case in point i had a patient you know you love your patients you're in business for yourself you want to grow and she was like i want to come in Every Monday. Well, guess what? I don't see patients on Monday. But I was like, oh, maybe I should. She was like, no, no, no. No. There's a reason why you're not seeing patients on Monday. I do my podcast recording on Monday and I do podcast recording on Fridays. So she said, there's a reason why you don't see patients on Monday. And even if you don't have anything you're doing, honor the fact that you're not seeing patients on Monday because tomorrow she'll tell her friend, oh, yeah, she said I could come on Mondays. And then her friend said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll go on Mondays too. And then then what? And then I'll get and burned out. Your Mondays. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'll get burned out even before I start. So I'm learning how to say no. And believe it or not, the hardest people to say no to are my kids. Yeah. <laughs> but mm, by the grace that of God, we're going to get there. Wow. Practice. Practice makes Practice. perfect. Yes, I'm Practice working on it. Perfect. I'm on it. Yes, yeah. yes. So where can the listeners find you? This has been such an amazing journey with you thank you for writing on our pages where where can the listeners find you We want to support this your budding business which we love so much 
Yay. So, so yeah, the, they can find me on the pelvic place PT.com. So I have been in practice for the last eight years, but the pelvic place PT is my private practice. And that just started this year. So you can find me at www.thepelvicplacept.com or you can find me on Instagram, the pelvic place PT. Again, um, you can find me on Facebook, the pelvic place physical therapy and you can always just email or message me um and the email address is dr amago so it's dr period amago is a-m-a-g-o-h so it's dr amago at the pelvic place pt and we'll be able to address all of your um all of the issues that concern you dealing with the pelvic floor. So sexual pain, bowel and bladder pain, um, muscle skeletal pain, pregnancy and postpartum discomfort. And that's what we specialize in. Yes, indeed, we are going to try to support you. Y'all go out and support a sister on a mission, on a very, very unique, unique path. I just love what you're doing. Honestly, I've not heard about it before. I haven't. And I've only been in practice for 29 years. So no, 20. I've been living under a rock. But I'm just so proud of you. Thank you so much for blazing trails. I had Thank a friend you. on my podcast who said when she dies, she just wants to be known for clearing the path for others. Right. So the other word for that is blazing a trail. And thank you for being a trailblazer. I really appreciate you coming. Oh, no on our podcast today so any any final words or you no problem and in reference to it, it it is a new area of of medicine essentially it's been around for maybe about 20 30 years and is blossoming as we go along and i think that is my mission is to bring awareness to these issues people think that having urinary incontinence when you cough laugh sneeze or jump or being postpartum they think it's normal it's not normal people think having pain with intercourse sometimes is normal it's not normal people think being pregnant and having pain with your pregnancy is normal it's not normal i tell people just because it's common does not mean it's normal so my goal is to help bring awareness which is something that you're helping me do so thank you so much for having me on your podcast and just let people know and i'm um, bringing awareness and also letting people know that it is a two-part thing. We're addressing the physical and the mental and psychological factors with it. And that's the only true way to get true results. So thank you. We honor you. We honor what you do. We thank you for your voice in the community. And we pray that you continue to do this. Wow. And you know what? On that note, we have to come to an end because how do you top that? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you heard my guest today. Every single time I go on this journey, I never know which way it's going to, I never know which way it's going to take me. I have learned so much from this young chica. She almost looks like a millennial. For lack of a- <laughs> she's young. She's a vibrant thing. She's out there doing her thing. If you're in Houston, if you're around Houston, if you're in Texas, we got 30 million people in Texas, go out and support her. You can find out on the pelvicplacept.com and the World Wide Web and on IG and the Pelvic Place Physical Therapy on Facebook. Y'all go out and support a sister. And this is me. This is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. the momatrician, the lady on a mission to fix those status quo, the stigma, the silence, the shame of suicide. We're going to fix it. We're going to talk about it. And indeed, like she said, we're going to 
recognize the symptoms and the signs and we're going to try to do something about it ultimately so this is dr lulu signing out <laughs>